Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. You ever wake up, feel dead inside? You've got all the trappings that society says will bring you happiness. You might have a great job. You might have a great family. You might have the big house. You might have those moments of happiness, but there's no lasting peace. There's no joy. You're dead inside. And you brood. You say, what? What's the problem here? What, what, what's missing in my life? I should be happy. And if that describes you, I've got good news. Today we're going to look at an example of hope. Of a guy that had it all but had nothing. And how Jesus Christ transformed his life. It's perhaps the best news that I can share with you, that Jesus came for folks just like us. Well, this is the third week of our Gospel Revolution study. We're looking at a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, for a person who only shows up once in the biblical narratives, he is probably one of the most known individuals in the Bible. In fact, if you've never been in a church, you might have heard of Zacchaeus. So popular that we even have a song about him. I hear by the giggle, you know what I'm going to, right? You remember the children's song? Now, I'm not going to sing it for you. If you want to break out in song, go ahead. But here, let me give you some of the lyrics. You ready? Zacchaeus was what? A wee little man, right? Here's the crazy thing. There are variations of that. Some people say he's a very little man. Some say he's a wee little man. We can't get that one even right, right? And then it goes on and says, uh, a very little man was he. He climbed up where? Sycamore tree for? Wow. Who else gets a song like that other than Zacchaeus? Well, we can have fun with the song. But we need to remember that this story is an important place in Luke's narrative of the life of Jesus. This is one of the the last encounters of Jesus before he enters into Jerusalem, uh, before the crucifixion and the resurrection. So it's an important story for us. Now, I'm one of those guys. I like to get to the end of the story. I want to give you your takeaways. So here's the first takeaway I want you to walk away with, and it's part of the gospel prayer, and it basically says this, in Christ, there is nothing I can do to make you love me more, and nothing I have done that can make you love me less. Now, as, as parents, we understand this. You remember, whenever we, our children came in the world, I was talking to Justin Miller up here, how old your baby? 13 months old, and that girl already has this man wrapped. 
You guys didn't know Andrew Henson had a baby. Well, he didn't have his wife had a baby this week. Y'all know Andrew's baby came in the world, so yay for them. But when that baby comes in the world, we are passionately in love with that child. We love them unconditionally, even though they might disappoint us, even though they might hurt us, even though they might make us go crazy sometimes. We love that child. But for some reason, there's a disconnect between us and God. For some reason, we see, we think God loves us conditionally. We, we think that, that we're always having to earn God's love by our performance. Or we can do something so bad that God can't love us anymore. You are loved unconditionally. And here's the second thing I want you to walk away with. Anytime we have an encounter with Jesus, that encounter has a power to transform our lives. We see it in the life of Zacchaeus. Before we really get in and exploring the scripture, I want to spend a little time talking about the people who show up in in our worship service and uh, who will find a strong connection with Zacchaeus. So let me describe you. First off, we have those that are passionate. These are people who love Jesus, that are passionate about Jesus. They're here all the time. In fact, in the lobby, did y'all see that new furniture out there? You, you think it's for you, but here's what we did. We have people up here so much, we want to give them a place to take a nap. So that's, that's who that furniture is for. But they love Jesus. They're here all the time. They're passionate. But the other people that show up, they're the lovers of Jesus. And the only difference between the lovers of Jesus and the passionate is the lovers of Jesus have a life outside of church. They do other things. Uh, you have the adherents who are people that profess Christ, but in terms of priority, you know, their faith is about third or fourth down the tier of priorities. And then you have the folks that we're most excited about, the new to the journey. These are people that are new to the faith. You remember when we baptized six people a couple weeks ago? Now, wasn't that fun? That's them. They're new to the faith. But on the other end of the spectrum, we, we have the moralists, and our pastors talk about them, people who feel that they're in because they're good people, but they lack the relationship with the Lord. That's a dangerous place to be, by the way. And then we actually have people who are atheists, agnostic. We have people that come into our worship service. They, they don't believe there's such a thing as God. And if that's you, we're glad you're here. We have those that are uninterested. They're here because somebody told them, you're going to church with me but you don't want to be here. We're glad you're here as well. But then on the other part of it is that we have those who are spiritually curious. And these are individuals who, you know, we, we really don't know, they don't know much about Christianity, really don't know the difference between Islam, Buddhism, Christianity, but there's a stirring in their spirit, and so they're wondering, what is this Christianity all about? And so they're just kind of peeking around the corner. They're, they're curious. We're really excited that you're here. We have those that are disappointed. Uh, there are those that have been in church, been a follower of Christ, but somehow they feel that God has let them down, the church has let them down, so they disconnected. And we also had those that are, I'm interested, but. And I actually had a guy that told me once, he said, you know, Pastor, I would become a Christian, but if Jesus knew all the stuff that I've done, he wouldn't want me. He already does. 
and he still wants you. And then we have those that you're almost there. You, you, you really think, boy, I'm I, I thinking about becoming a Christian. And if that's you, what are you waiting on? Jump in. That's the greatest life that you'll ever have. So who does Zacchaeus connect to? Those that are spiritually curious, disappointed, I want to, but I'm almost there. This is your guy that we see on the stained glass, Zacchaeus. Now, in Luke 19, we've already heard a little bit of his story, uh, but let's talk about him. What do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, he only shows up in 10 verses. Uh, And I actually went and wondered, does he show up in any of the historical narratives? Uh, So I did a a look around, and he only, the name Zacchaeus is only mentioned in an unreliable uh, document that said that there was a Zacchaeus who was a follower of Peter and was later made the bishop of Caesarea. That's the only thing we know about Zacchaeus apart from what we read in these 10 verses. So what do we know? Number one, he was small. We see that in verse 3. The other thing we know is that he was a chief tax collector. We see that in verse 2. And then the man was loaded. He had money. He was rich. But now let's go back to the first couple of things we know about him. From a tax collecting perspective, Zacchaeus had made it. Taxes were collected inland at three places. There was Caesarea, there was Jericho, there was Jerusalem. Jericho was important because it was a situation on the path that led to Jerusalem and also was a very rich area because of this palm forest and balsam groves. So in other words, Zacchaeus was the top three. He was the head of the tax collecting consortium. And he was an extortionist. And so basically the Romans told the tax collectors this. This is our cut. Anything above that is yours. And they were good at it. And there wasn't anything people could do about it if they didn't like it. They had to pay up because the tax collectors were brutal. They were hated. And if you were to put an equivalent in today's culture, you want to think about somebody that is a modern-day crack dealer. And if we knew him, we would look at him and say, I hope you go to hell. You deserve it. Not an ideal candidate for Jesus, is he? Of course, he was hated. He was despised by everybody. But what else do we know about him? Well, he was spiritually curious. No one had to wonder, guess, why on that spring day, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. We, we have to conjecture at this point, what was it, was this inner stirring in his life where he wanted to see the Son of Man? It, it could have been a couple possibilities. Maybe he heard of what Jesus had done in other people's lives. Maybe he had heard about the prostitutes. Maybe it was because he knew a guy named Levi, who was now a follower of Jesus, that we go to know as Matthew. And maybe because... 
that Palestine was a small area, maybe because Levi was a tax collector and Zacchaeus knew about Levi. He said, if, if Jesus can do in Levi's life what he's done, I want that. Now, church, I want you to connect to something. The greatest influence in people's life is your story. What Jesus Christ is doing in your life, your marriage, your home, your career, how he's redeemed you, how he has saved you, it's your story. Maybe it was that he heard about the miracles and he said, man, I want to see something. That will be cool. Or maybe he was drawn to Jesus because he irked The religious leaders. Can you imagine what the religious leaders thought of Zacchaeus? Said, man, if if Jesus can tick those guys off, I'm all in. Or maybe Zacchaeus has found his wealth and lifestyle unsatisfying. Maybe he said, There's an emptiness in my soul. And I've tried everything else. There was a guy by the name of Augustine. Unless you're a church history buff, you probably have never heard of him. We got to know him later as St. Augustine. In the 380 ADs, Augustine grew up. His dad was a pagan. His mom was a Christian. And as a young boy, Augustine ran from his faith, ran from the faith of his mom. Highly intelligent became a professor. He was a hedonist in terms, of, in, in terms of sexual immorality. And one day, at the age of 31, he was walking in this childlike voice. He said, whispered in his ear, and, and that voice said, take and read. And there was a Bible there, and Augustine couldn't help it. He was compelled. He picked up the Bible, and he went to Romans 12, verses, uh, chapters 12 through 15, where Paul outlines how the gospel transforms believers and the believer's final behavior. And he saw that, and he said, that's what I want in my life. St. Augustine was redeemed in There's a quote that he said, your gold was thrusting at my heart, giving me no peace until the eye of my soul can discern you without mistake. Old and ancient words, but I think we get the sense of what he meant. So like Augustine, Zacchaeus had to see Jesus. How about you? We see a divine encounter as this tired, sad life, this restless little man was determined to see Jesus. And, and I don't know what happened that day, but, but as I was sitting in my study thinking this thing through, I, I kind of had a picture in my mind. And I, I saw Zacchaeus, he's in the, the big house, and he's overlooking the city, and he's brooding. He said, I've tried everything. I've got money. I've got all this position. I've got all this stuff. There's no peace. There's no joy. And he was looking, and he knew that this guy named Jesus was coming to town, and he wanted to know what it's all about. And all of a sudden, he looks out the window, and he sees it. He sees the crowd. And he's got to see Jesus. He said, but I can't get there. I'm too small. I can't. And if I get close, 
man, I might, I might get stabbed. But if I get close, those religious people, I wonder, they're going to look at me like they always do with this, the eyes that despise me. And so he looked and he saw the path and he saw this tree, this sycamore tree. And he said, I, I'm going to go there. And the sycamore tree is this this big tree that's, that's full of foliage. The branches are very low, so it's real easy for a child to climb up. And he said, I can get there, I can climb up, and no one's going to see me. And so he boats. Crowd comes. Zacchaeus was thinking, I'm safe here. And all of a sudden, as our narrative earlier, when Jesus stopped and looked up and said, Zacchaeus. Now, let me kind of tell you what I think he felt at that moment. I don't know what kind of college student you were. But I pretty much went through college trying to hide from the professor. All right? And here's, 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 here was my, my formula. I go into class. I got my baseball hat, back row, slump in the chair, book up, praying, oh, Lord, please, please, please don't let that man call on me today. Was that you in school sometimes? And you remember what happened when he said, um, <clears throat> Mr. Vineyard, what do you think? And you went, um, well, um, you see. That's a terrible feeling, isn't it? Now, I want to give a study help to those of you who are students, high school, college. If you're trying to hide, don't go the back row. What I found out, you want to go the front row, act like you're interested, because they never call on those people. You get off, right? So here it is. So here it comes like this. And, and Jesus looked at him, and, he, and the tear, tear has to get, and he goes, Jesus goes, now, I, I'm coming to eat in your house. Now, only my children get to say, Dad, what are you buying me for lunch today? Jesus didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, you, you think the house is clean? You think your wife has something in the pot? Would it be all right if I came and hung out with you? No, it was Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to eat with you, which really represents the most intimate moment of life. And here's the picture. Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus, which was a divine encounter. So, how did it come that you showed up today? And it could be that you're hiding. Hiding behind your stuff, hiding behind your family, hiding, hoping no one really finds out, figures you out. In this moment, Jesus saying, come down. I want to dine with you. I want your soul. I have sought you. I am seeking you. I'm the son of man. I'm an awesome God. I died for you. Come down. You might be saying, I'm too small. If you knew my heart, you wouldn't say that. Jesus' response is, I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a big heart. I'll give you a clean heart. Come 
to me. Wouldn't you want that? But what I find interesting is how radical Zacchaeus' life was transformed immediately. Did you, did you catch that? This immediate transformation as you look into the narrative. And Zacchaeus, as you read it, it says, you know what? I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And if I have wronged anybody, I'm paying them back fourfold. It was immediate transformation. Which leads us to remember that any time we have an encounter with Jesus Christ, that encounter can transform us. And it happens immediately, and it is in the process of. He transforms us right now, on the spot, but it is a lifetime of transformation. And if you take a real good look in your own soul, if you're not seeing changes, if you've not been changed, something's wrong. Something's wrong. But notice the two areas that he was transformed. First off, generosity. And what happens is that when we begin to enjoy the life in Christ, our priorities change. We're not self-centered. We're gospel-centered. We're willing to say, I won't live in this bigger house. I won't drive this real big car if I can make sure that the kingdom of God is expanded. Because our priorities change. And the second thing is that there was restoration of relationships and restitution. Now, how many of you, you this shows age, ready? How many of you remember the movie Love Story? Sappy thing it was. If you never saw the movie, you know the famous line, love what? Love means I never have to say I'm sorry. What a pathetic saying that is. Love means I say I'm sorry. Love means if, if by my behavior, my lifestyle, if I have wounded and I have hurt, I go fix it. That is a transformed life. See, in Luke's gospel, there's a contrast that is drawn between empty performance based on the religion of the day that the Pharisees had and the power of the gospel. I'm going to show that to you. You ready? Because here's what we see as summary. Religion can tell us to get better, but only the gospel gives us the power to be better. Religion tells us, if you change, you will be accepted. The gospel tells us, because you have been accepted, you can be changed. Religious focuses on the external change while the hearts are filled with corruption. It's the gospel that tells us Christ's righteousness given to us as a gift breaks the power of sin in our lives. The gospel teaches us that God's acceptance of us in Christ becomes the power that liberates us from sin. It is a result of trusting Him. 
Religion tells us go and change. The gospel changes us on the spot. The only ones who ever get better are those who know of God. God acceptance of them is not condition of their get better. Which brings us to the key takeaway again. That in Christ there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. And nothing I have done or will do will make him love me less. I am loved. And because I'm loved and because I'm accepted, that gives me the power to enter a relationship with him and the power to change. But I got to talk about the grumblers. You see it in verse 7, people grumbled. Who's that? That's us. Sometimes people show up at times you think, oh boy. I got to tell you a story about my friend named Mason. You've seen him around here. First time I saw Mason and I told him I was going to tell his story. Mason is my height, but there's no fat on him. He's massive. He's like this. He has tattoos. He shaves his head. And the first time I, I saw him, I, I'm over the safety team. They fall under me. And I thought, I thought mm-hmm. And I start, okay, that could be a problem. You know, you know how Barney Fife was. That's me, right? So I looked at him. And then I said, okay, now who's this guy? And then I found out. Mason is a combat veteran in the Marines. Mason is a policeman at Atlanta Police Department. Mason loves Jesus. I'm doing his wedding in a couple weeks, and I'm excited about it. But isn't it amazing how sometimes we can look at a man's outward appearance and assume an inward reality? And if that's us, stop it. And I want to tell you something. Jesus was sitting there going, mm-hmm, Vineyard, I got you on that one, buddy. But also, let me tell you something that shows up as well. We, in our, in our office, we, we talk about how we reach people who are like Zacchaeus. That, that's who we want to connect to. And it's tough today because people are beginning their spiritual journey in a place of ignorance. There's, you know, they don't know. You know, when I grew up, you know, people had some common ground of what it meant to be a Christian, not in today's culture. And so the, the problem that we face is how do we present truth in a way that, that encourages the mature, encourages you to grow in your faith, but also how do we connect to truth to those who, who really have no knowledge of what it means to be a follower of Christ? And, and here's what happens. You know, I don't know if you know if our Pastor Keith has done this and Pastor John, and, and I'm going to do it in a minute, is that we try to present the gospel in clear ways at, at the end of every sermon. And what can happen is that we as believers, you know, I, I've heard this before. I'm, I'm getting kind of tired of hearing it. I wish they would, you know, no, don't you do that. And here's what happens. When we start presenting the gospel, you, what you need to do is make sure it's fresh in your own heart, but then you need to start praying because today somebody is going to experience what you got. 
And you, what you ought to do is that you ought to bow your head and you ought to be praying fervently for those that are Zacchaeus in our room saying, today, Father, do a work that only you can do and restore this person. And God, help me not to get so familiar with this simple message that I become cynical. Does that got it? And if and sometimes Pastor Keith, he says, hey, if you want to receive Christ, stand up. Well, don't just sit there. Stand up, put your arms around and says, I don't know who you are, but I've been where you are. And I can tell you this, Jesus Christ is all that he says he is. And I'm going to walk with you so you'll know who he is. And it ought to cause us celebration. Don't be one of those people that say, man, I've heard this before. No, keep it fresh. But then Jesus, he gives us the mission. And I'm, I'm going to ask the band to come on up because Jesus is going to give the mission. For you notice what he says in verse 10. This is, this is the key point. You ready? For what? The Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. That's our mission. That's our mission. Passionate about it. So now let me talk to our Zacchaeus. And I'm going to ask everyone to do me this favor, even if you do this every week. Can you guys get this card for me? Now, I know that some of you in the room, you say, you know, I'm a Christian. I've done this card. But I'm going to ask those who are ready to receive Christ to do something. And I don't want them to stand alone. I, I, I don't want them to do this alone. So even if you put your name on this thing and you sit there and write on it, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. That's all y'all need you to do. Everybody get them. You ready? So now, we, we talked about how you can have your life restored. Here's what you need to know. The gospel is the announcement that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son Jesus to die as a substitute for our sins. And all who repent and believe can have eternal life. That's it. So now here's what we want you to do on your card. Put your name. Just put your name on it and uh, put, put a contact number. Now, we're going to call you. We're going to email you. But now here's what happens sometimes is that people, uh, people give us and, and we try to get them and they don't respond. We need you to respond, okay? And in a moment, we're going to pass an offering basket. And here's what I want you to do on the very back. Say, I want to talk to somebody about becoming a follower of Christ. And, and all we want from you, if you're a Zacchaeus in the room today, well, all we want you to do is put this. We don't want your money. We just want you to put this in a basket. But some of you are saying, i got to get this thing figured out today. At this table over here to my right, you see that table? There's going to be somebody there. Our, our pastor, John Warnock, could be available to you. You'll see him in a minute. Uh, for those that are musicians, Pastor Chad Crouch. Just come talk to us. I, I want to be on the porch. If you want to talk about becoming a father of Christ, we'll celebrate with you the greatest decision that you'll ever make. You ready? You ready for that life in Christ? Today's the day. So I want to pray, and we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to lead you to the rest of worship. So Father, this morning are people in this room that are in need of you. Father, we pray for them. We ask, Father, that you will just remind them that they're loved unconditionally.
Today will be the day that they accept you as their your Savior, their Lord, their Redeemer, your friend, and they experience true joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.